Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Solid Ground Church, where every week we share messages recorded during our weekly gatherings in Lewis, Delaware. If you have questions or if we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now, let's get to this week's message. Well, good morning. Wow. I'm, I'm not Bert. I'm not uh, Josh. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Solid Ground. If you don't know who I am, my name is Drew. I'm one of the elders here, and it's my privilege to come before you, and uh, I get to help out the pastors, give them a little bit of a break, and allow them uh, some time to do the things that they need to do, um, but also come on up here and, uh, and, and bring God's word. So I want to start out this morning just by talking about some of the disconnects uh, in our culture and in the world around us. Um, I think there's a lot of things that are disconnected, uh, and one of those is us. We, we are disconnected as a people. Um, I think for so many reasons, uh, we are, are not united. You look at the numbers. Um, this is a struggle for us to connect. More than one in three Americans is lonely today. One in three, that's uh, 30%, 33%. That's a Harvard study. That's not just me making up things. It's a Harvard study. That same study says that that number rises to 61% when you're talking about younger people. So if you're under 30, six in 10 people under 30 are proclaiming that they're lonely. And for young moms, this number kind of just stood out for me, young moms, 51%, half of moms with young children say that they're lonely. That's a problem. That's an issue in our culture. Uh, survey data from 2019 says that 58% of Americans often feel like nobody knows anything about them. That's six in 10, and that was before COVID. In 2020, young women in the U.S. were the most likely to report losing touch with friends. And most Americans, uh, you, might, you might not admit this, or you might admit this, you might say, yeah, Drew, I, this is me, or you might say, ah. I'm not so sure, but most Americans are seeking friendships and connectedness now more than ever. Not only is this a numbers issue, it's actually a health issue. The American Heart Association says, um, let's see, they published a statement saying that social isolation and loneliness are associated with a 30% increased risk of heart attack and stroke. Loneliness increases our risk of heart attack and stroke. There's a, there's a physical connection to that. Um, and then a recent article on WebMD says that togetherness and connection are foundations of our well-being. Wow, there's some pretty significant information about being disconnected. And I don't believe that we were meant to be alone. I don't think God created us to be alone. So that's one area where we're disconnected. A second area is how we care for people. Uh, there's a disconnect if you do a simple Google search, now this is not a, a study, it's not research, a simple Google search, the first three pages you come up on are all either government or um, different organizations that talk about caring. Nothing from the church or Christianity in a Google search. Now that might be intentional, there might be some other things tied to that. An article, top nine organizations that are serving people in America today, caring for people, only two were Christian. One of those was St. Vincent de Paul, that's part of the Catholic Church, and the other was the Salvation Army. So what's happening? How are we caring for people? 
Then that survey is not to say that there aren't great Christian organizations. There are. Samaritan's Purse is killing it. They're doing some amazing things. There are some amazing churches that are caring for people. Our church is one of them, doing some great things. But as a whole, who's out there caring for the homeless? You guys watch the news for a minute. You look at cities like Portland or in Portland, San Francisco, Philadelphia. Homelessness is, is an, an epidemic. It's bad. Mental health, that's a whole different conversation. Who's caring for these people? And we live in a culture, the culture has shifted to a point where we say, oh, let the government do that. Let, let somebody else do that. And yet at the same time, I believe that the people in this room and people in churches all over America want to care for people and take care of things. This issue isn't new, uh, allowing other organizations to do it, the church kind of stepping back. You go back to the 1700s and the 1800s, to, it's back then that the church was really doing this as a whole. And even then, there was a mindset amongst churches that said, uh, if, you know, if you're lazy, that's on you, you do your own thing. They weren't worried about particular needs. This is a hardened view. There's a third area where I think we, we're disconnected that we're going to address in Scripture today, and that's purpose. <laughs> Why, why am I here? Why, why do I exist? What's my job going to be? I have an 18-year-old who's trying to figure all that out. She graduates high school this year. and You know, where am I going to go to school? Uh, what, what kind of work am I going to do? What does that look like? And I think there's, again, you look at the numbers, people all around are really struggling. Why am I here? How do I figure that out? One of the things that I love about the school that I work for is that's what we do. We get to Thank you. I don't know if it'll help, but we'll try. <laughs> One of the things I love at our school that we get to do is we get to help young people discover God's plan for their lives. How has God created them? God has a purpose for them, and how do they get to figure that out? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And this all comes back to this issue of God's image in us. Uh, God, cre God has this image. Some of those things he's shared with us, like relationships, um, and, and things that we're going to talk about today. Some of those things he hasn't shared with us. We're not omnipotent. We're not all-knowing. We're not everywhere at all at the same time. It'd be kind of cool if we were, but... Um, so, the gospel answers the question, or is, the, is the answer to the three questions I just posed. Um, are we connected? Uh, there's a loneliness issue. There's a care for people issue. There's a purpose issue. The gospel answers that. You see, God created the world, and he created it perfect, right? And then sin enters the world, and sin corrupts everything. So that sin affects all those three areas that we talked about. Sin is going to affect our relationships and cause us to be lonely. Sin is going to cause um, people to be hungry and homeless and mental health issues. That's all answered by, by sin. And the same thing for purpose, lacking purpose. What what am I supposed to do? Who am I? Where am I going? What am I gonna, where am I supposed to live? What's my job going to be? Those, all those questions that are in, in people's heads this morning. The gospel answers that because God sent Jesus to go to a cross, to die in our place, to bear our sin. And for those who put their faith and trust in him, he's restoring things. He's in the process of restoring all three of those areas. And we're going to go back to what the early church was doing in Acts chapter 4, 
and discover what some of those answers are. And ultimately, Jesus is the answer to that. And we're going to look to this, this passage of the early church and see how they lived, glean some of the things from that um, there. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. It's going to be up on the screen if you want to follow along with me. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of the lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need, Thus Joseph, who was, called, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So I'm going to first start out, I'm not here to tell you to go sell your property, sell your house. and, and <laughs> um, That's not the point. This is a descriptive passage. In, in Scripture, we have some passages that are descriptive. They describe what's going on. And then there's some passages that are prescriptive that prescribe or tell us what to do. We're going to talk about both today, but this passage that I just read describes what God was doing in the early church. It doesn't necessarily mean you go out and sell your property. Um, so in this, the full number of those who believed, that was everyone. So at the time, that was about 5,000 men. When they counted things, it was the men. So you have 5,000 men, women, and children right, were of one heart and one soul. You just think about that for a moment. I can't get my family to decide where we're going for lunch in the afternoon after church, no less decide bigger things about how we're going to live life um, side by side, one heart, one soul. No one said that anything belonged to them. They had everything in common, and the, the, sh the sharing was on a voluntary basis, we're not talking about communism here. Nobody was telling them to do This was just out of their hearts. This is where they were. This is the, what they purposed to do. Communism is this idea that somebody else is going to tell you how to do that, and they're going to direct that. This was all autonomous within the people of the church, driven by the Holy Spirit. The other part is this church lived in a world that um, is in some ways similar to ours, in some ways much different the world around them was hostile to their purposes. They lived in, in uh, Judea and Galilee in that area, and uh, the Jews were still like, no way. No, 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 no. Jesus, you know, they had just recently put Jesus on the cross. They still weren't convinced that Jesus was the one. So they were hostile to this new Christian whatever it was. The Romans weren't happy about it either. So really, everybody around them was opposed to them, against them. But they had a pure and simplistic approach. The people were able to concentrate on the study of God's word, service and dedication to one another, hospitality, benevolence, and missions. And we're going to talk, dive a little bit deeper. So there's one area that we're going to start off, and that really addresses the idea of loneliness, and that is unity. Okay, Josh, be there? There it is. All right. So full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Um, this, this, again, this loneliness in our culture is 
epidemic. I mean, it is bad. We have never been more connected, right? And yet we are as disconnected as ever. Instagram and Snapchat and all the different social medias. And, and yet we're more lonely than ever. I'm not going to get into all that, but there is a solution. Um, had anybody heard of the name Katie Davis Majors? Is that familiar? There's a book out called Kisses by Katie, right? And uh, so here's this young lady at 18. She goes on a mission trip to Uganda. And as a result, meets a bunch of Ugandan children who were orphaned and winds up adopting 13 of them. Um, winds up having two kids of her own. And she's called back to the U.S. for a time. She comes back to the United States. And in Uganda, she was so used to community, people caring for one another and being together and just involved in every part of their lives. And she comes back to the U.S. and starts picking up the phone and says, hey, you want to meet for coffee? Hey, let's go get breakfast together. Let's go. And she couldn't find people to do it. The U.S. is so much different than Uganda, the culture there, that she really struggled to find young women who would meet her for coffee. And we're not talking about a lady who's a jerk. She's a lady who adopted 13 kids, so she's got to be pretty nice, right? What's wrong with our culture? You know, I remember going to Northern Virginia years ago and standing in line at a Starbucks, and it was literally this line, like 40 people, and not one person talked to another person. I was like, this is crazy. But that's the culture that we're in. Churches are in decline. And I'm not going to make a, um, a correlation and say that one's necessarily definitely connected to the other, but as churches have declined... So has connectivity in our culture. I'm not sure. I think there's a lot of factors that play into that, but it's interesting. Churches are declining in huge numbers. 4,000 churches are going to close this year. That's crazy, okay? And yet six in 10 people would say that there were three in 10 for sure. Six in 10 young people say that they're lonely. Well, I'll make a point here. Um, part of the, the, I believe the church is the solution to loneliness. But let's take a moment and recognize that the church, raise your hand if you've been hurt by somebody in the church. I, I can tell you my wife and I have been hurt very deeply, very deeply by, by people in the church. And yet I, I think there's got to be people out there that I've hurt in the church. You live your life in church for 25 years, you're a leader in a church, and it's never my intention but no doubt there's got to be somebody that I've hurt. So I think people being hurt in the church um, causes us to say, hey, I, I, I don't want to be part of that. The other thing is, is um, institutionally, the church has a reputation for a lot of things. I know people in my family who won't go near a church because in their opinion, all they do is ask for money. <laughs> got a chuckle and, and some nodded heads there. Um, and, and let's not miss that the church systemically has had an issue with abuse. There's, there's been some issues in the church. So it's hard for us to say, hey, you know, you look at, at money, abuses, people being hurt. Why, why would people run to the church? And the answer goes back to the gospel is the church is broken. If, if this church were perfect, the minute I walk through those doors, it's no longer perfect, right? You guys didn't have to laugh so hard at that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, see, see, we're made in God's image. 
And God is relational. Prior to creation, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit lived in perfect community and, and just loved one another. This is this relational part of, of the Trinity that just blows my mind. It's really cool. We're made in that image, that perfect uh, relationship. Of course, sin messes that up. But don't miss that God gave us the church. The church was God's institution. It's what we're talking about in, in Acts. He created it for a purpose. The church is not plan B or plan C. The church is plan A. So yeah, we've been hurt by the church. Yeah, the church is not perfect. But the church is how God has designed um, us to do a number of things. And it's not just these three things I'm talking about today, but God has created that. So if we badmouth the church or we put down the church or look down on the church, kind of like going to a wedding. Maybe you've heard this, this visual before. You ever go to a wedding? Like my wife, she watches the groom. So you got the groom and the pastor are up front and the, the guys are up there and, and then the bridesmaids start coming in and the music's playing. The bride stands there with, with somebody, usually her father, and they start walking down the aisle. It's this beautiful thing, right? Can you imagine people saying, oh my gosh, her dress is awful. <laughs> Who picked out those shoes? Her makeup is disgusting and... Gosh, what? that's the ugliest bride I've ever seen. The Bible says that the church is Jesus' bride. And when we start bad-mouthing the church and look down upon the church, we're doing the exact same thing. See, I, I'm here as somebody who, although I've been hurt by the church, I love the local church. I love our church. I love you guys. I love being part of what's happening here at Solid Ground. I'm going to fight and argue for the local church. So how do we treat Jesus' church? So there's some scripture here, and these are prescriptive. This is, hey, you should do this. Uh, I got two that I'm just going to read, and then three I'm going to share on the screen. One is 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Those are some good words. Unity of mind. Sympathy. You know what that means? It's to seek to understand. You have a problem with somebody? I'm trying to seek to understand. Rob's got a, an issue with me. I'm trying to seek to understand where he's coming from. We don't have any issues, by the way. We're good. <laughs> At least I didn't think so. All right. <laughs> Philippians 2.2. 2. Paul says this. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Romans 12, verse 10. Josh, here we go. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in love. This idea of outdoing one another in love, we see this in Philippians 2, where, where God says, hey, Jesus, I'm going to send you down. Uh, you're going to leave the throne of heaven. You're going to go to earth. You're going to sacrifice yourself. Jesus says, okay, I'll go do it. And then as a result, God exalts him to the right hand of the throne. There's this outdoing of one another in love. How, how, can I, how can I serve you? No, 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 no. How can I serve you? No, no, no. How can I? That's what Romans 12 is a picture of. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. There's this unity. There's this commonality that we come together. Ephesians 4, 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
Interestingly enough, those three last passages, I didn't go look up uh, what are passages that, to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. These were, were passages that uh, God laid on my heart that have to do with unity in the church. The irony is, is they all come from sections of the Bible that have to do with the, the works of the Spirit and how, how God works through the Spirit. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. So what are we called to do? What are those prescriptive things? You should do this. Have unity. Have sympathy. Have brotherly love. Have a tender heart. Have a humble mind. Tender heart. I, look, I don't always have a tender heart. Something happens, I'm like, all right, let's go. Ooh, we ready to fight? No, God calls us to be tender with one another. Some of you are thinking, man, I don't know why I send my kids to that school. <laughs> <laughs> Be of the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind. Outdo one another in showing honor. Honor more than property, more than money was an issue back at that time. They didn't care about money, they didn't care about property. It was honor that was the issue. That's what they focused on. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Um, I shared with you guys that I've been down to, to different places um, in the Caribbean, um, Cuba, the Dominican Republic. In the, in the Dominican Republic, man, when, when they have church, they do church at night on Sundays because it's really hot during the day. So church starts at 6. And it's the one time that Dominicans actually show up early for something. Um, they get there at 5. So church starts at 6, and, and they're worshiping, and they're hanging out, and they're, they're, they're praising. and they're... When I preach down there, I don't start preaching until 8 o'clock. And then that goes about half an hour, 40 minutes, and then there's more worship. And that goes till about 9 or 9.30 or even 10 o'clock. And then when they're done, they order dinner. And then dinner comes. Be the, I, my mother went with me on a mission trip down, down there a few years back. And she's from New York and she's like, we got to get things done. She was furious. <laughs> she said, it's 10 o'clock. They could have ordered dinner at 8 and it would have been here when the service was over. I said, mom, you don't understand. They don't care. They don't care what time we eat. They don't care about the food. They're here to spend time with one another. There's a unity there. And they'll hang out, have dinner, and it's 12, it's midnight, 1 a.m. before you leave church. So it's literally like six, seven hours. And it, it's awesome. I miss doing that. I, lo- I like you guys. But man, I, down there, it is, there's just something special. There's unity. It's really cool. Unity will do a couple of, of different things. In Mark 2, Jesus healed a paralyzed man because of his friend's faith. That's why your circle's, circle matters. These four guys lower this guy in to go see Jesus, right? Who you hang out with is important. Unity is a big deal. Unity in churches will speak volumes to the world around us. They're looking for us to fight. They're looking for us to disagree. Because then they'll prove, oh yeah, there's that church. Just doing what churches do. Man, if we're unified and we love one another... They're going to say, hmm, I want to go check that out. I want to see what's going on over there. Unity will allow us to, to accomplish much for the kingdom. If we're fighting over what color the carpets are, or you know, this and that, that's not unity, and, and that doesn't accomplish anything. But if we say, hey, we want to get together for the purpose of sharing Christ with those around us, we're going to do that. Um, so back to the DR church. They don't have a whole lot. 
In fact, that's one of the things I admire about them. I often say I pack more for vacation than most Dominicans even own. It's a pretty sad state of where we are. So at least the next point, which is generosity. Generosity, there it is, generosity. Um, this is a time, um, the upper class represented maybe 4 or 5% of the population uh, in first century um, Middle East, Near East. The middle class was roughly 10%. That's, those are probably high numbers. So probably one in 10 people actually owned anything, property, a home, a place to live. That means nine out of 10 were subsistence people where they would just travel and go from place to place and just walk the streets. They didn't have a home. They might have uh, lived on a farm and served, but they didn't own anything. Much, much different than the culture we we're used to and we live in. In giving their lives to Jesus, in following Christ, they actually excluded themselves from some of the services of the, of the Jewish community and the Roman community. They were kind of like, all right, you're, you're, you're one of those people. You don't get to have some of the things that we have. Um, and as I said, money wasn't really the thing. that was, It was honor. It was family. It was who you were. It was your character that really mattered. Um, in Deuteronomy, going back even to Moses' time, it said, there, there need be no poor people among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving to possess you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. So this idea of community goes back to, to Jewish tradition as well. And we see the same point out here. Uh, in verse 34, no one was needy. There was not a needy person among them. Properties and possessions were sold and distributed as each had need. And, and really the point I want to make here is not to go home and sell stuff. My, my point is here is, is they were generous. Generosity is huge. You think about it, God is generous, right? First <laughs> Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you do not receive? If you say, oh, I'm, I'm gifted at speaking or I'm gifted at writing or I'm, I'm gifted at this or that. Who gave you that gift? What do you have that you do not receive? You think about the gospel. You think of the truth of our relationship with Christ. He's the one who gave us that. So we, we serve and live under a generous, generous God. You know, and you go back to that image of I travel with more stuff than most Dominicans own. God's been generous to us. Very, very generous. And that generosity is not just in, in finances. And I'm not here to talk about tithing today. I'm here to talk about generosity within the church and how we serve one another, not just in the church, but outside the church. And that goes to our time, tithe, and talent. So, you know, it's great. Some people can write a check and, and solve a problem for people. Some people have time that can sit and have coffee and care for that loneliness or, or that issue. Some people have time to help build something or fix something or go shop for somebody. And some people have talents that, that you know, you might have the ability to go build a deck for somebody who, or a, a wheelchair ramp for somebody who can't get in their house. I don't have that talent, but if you have that talent, that's fantastic. How are we using those talents? So Proverbs 3.27 uh, here's some, some passages we're going to share. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. This is a passage that really strikes me hard and, and something that, guys, I don't do this perfectly, um, but it's a passage that I'm reminded of regularly. When I see a need and I have the ability to do something about it, God reminds me, Drew, go take care of that. Go do that. It's just powerful. When you have the ability to act, just go do it. 
Don't withhold good from somebody who needs it. Galatians 10 takes it a little further. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those in the household of faith. The Bible says we should actually step it up for the people sitting. Look to your left and right. We should be taking care of one another. Look for those needs. I'll be taking a few minutes after the service. Hey, how can I pray for you? Can I get something for you? What can I do? <coughs> Hebrews 13, 16, do not de- neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. It makes God happy when we sacrifice to serve one another. Those are pretty prescriptive things. Those aren't just, hey, if you think, this is what God wants us to do. This is how he calls us to live. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So again, we're called to, to certain things. We're called to, to not withhold good from those to whom it is due. As we have opportunity, do good to everyone, especially those in the household of faith. Faith, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. Contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. These are things that we're called to do. And that word hospitality, think about hospitals and hotels. What do they do? They take care of sick people and they they provide a place. This idea of hospitality is is to open up your home to a stranger and allow them to come in and take care of them. Um, And it's not just a doing thing. What, what, What the Bible's talking about here and what happened in the first century church wasn't just a, oh, I'm gonna go do something. I'm gonna use my hands. It was more about the heart. It was about the heart behind it. I'm not just going to do something. I really, really, really care for those people because God's really, really, really cared for me. That gives me the ability to turn around and go do those things. You know, we're united at the cross. Um, I'm linked to the cross and you're linked to the cross, so therefore we're linked to one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That calls us together. I think about uh, our church, um, we lived in Easton. I pastored there for a few years. And when we were there, uh, we had a young family. Our kids were little. I remember that church um, did a baby shower for Kim when our oldest was born. This goes 23 years ago. And like 80 people from the church showed up. We, we didn't know half of them. <laughs> but they showed up and they showered us with gifts. And then when the kids were little, um, I went into seminary in 2008. So my, our oldest was eight, we had eight, six, and four. And I'm in seminary working full-time. That church took care of us. That church just did things for us, gave us uh, a place to go for a, a night or two, watched the kids. I mean, they really, really cared. For and then when we moved to Delaware, basically we were saying, hey, we're leaving the church and we're going to a new church, we're going to a new state. It was nine months of us commuting from Easton to Milton. That's an hour in the morning, an hour at, at night. And we knew God had called us to come to Milton. And um, that church provided meals for us a couple times a week. Just different ladies would show up and there'd be dinner waiting for us when we got home. They cared for us. We were the beneficiaries of that. And we got to turn around and do that for them too. It was, it was really cool. Pray that God works in that way. Finally, the last one is purpose. Um, God, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. The mission of the church is to prepare the way uh, for the final establishment of the kingdom of God on earth, right? So the church exists for a purpose. Um, 
this church was playing out its purpose. They were caring for one another. All this was happening. And at the same time, the apostles were sharing the gospel. The, the apostles were preaching. And God was showing them great grace. Their numbers were growing incredibly. That's the purpose of the church, isn't it? The purpose of the church is to care for, for the people and to proclaim the truth of the gospel. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A couple things from this. You guys probably have heard this before. This is as you are going. So as you're doing your daily stuff, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe all that I've commanded. Oh, and behold, I am with you. God's with us as we do that. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And this final passage is up here, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're God's people. We get to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. We get to do that. Like what a privilege that is. We get to tell people about this good news that we were dead and now we're alive, right? That there's an eternity that waits, an eternity united with God, perfect, no more sin, no more tears, no more pain, no more can't, no more of that stuff. And we get to live that back in unity with God. We get to proclaim that. That's what we get to do. We're the church. That's good stuff, guys, right? Once you were not a people, now you are. Once you didn't have mercy, now you do. One heart, one soul, their purpose, their thought, and their action the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord with great power and great graces upon them. Who gets the credit for that? Jesus does, right? Jesus gets the honor for that. Um, and it's a reminder in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have what? Love for one another, Right? If we're unified, if we're caring for one another, if we're proclaiming the gospel, that love for Christ, that love for one another, people will be attracted to that. It's when we're fighting and we're doing the wrong things or when we're lazy and that's when people don't want to be a part of what's going on. But people see and say, hey, what is going on at that little church? On is that even a, what's that place? But there's something going on. I was here yesterday with 27 men. They're grown men just bearing their hearts and sharing their stories and, and asking for prayer. Men don't do that. But that happened here yesterday, right in this room. It's really cool. So, and great grace was on them all. This is the evidence of restoration. God is in the business of restoring, and he calls the church to this. So we started off with disconnects. Loneliness, right? Uh, needs not being met and, and not having purpose. God's, God's in the business of reconnecting all those things, and he wants to use the church to do that. The church is God's plan for unity, 
generosity, and purpose. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we confess that yeah, we just fall short of, of so many things. And yet you love us anyway. And not only do you love us and you want to redeem us and bring us to yourself, you want to use us as, as part of your plan to share the truth of the gospel and redemption with the world around us. God, the world around us is harsh and broken and hurting. And I just pray that you would turn their hearts to you. Turn our hearts to you. Turn our hearts to one another. And use us collectively for your good. God, we love you. In Jesus' name.